<clears throat> okay, we're in the book of 3 John, little tiny book of 3 John tonight. That'll finish up the John series, John 1 we did and 2, and this is number 3, just a little short one-pager. We'll go on to the book of Jude next week, the book of Jude, the last one just before Revelation. That may take a couple weeks. We'll start that consideration next week. But we're in 3 John, and we run into the same thing we did last week. An unsigned letter come on the scene, and how do we know who wrote it? Well, we look at the style. It's like we did last week. We look at the style. We look for certain words that will help us. We see the beginning is the same in John 2 and John 3. Uh, the elder unto, all right, the elder unto. And so John has referred to himself as the elder. He said that he lived longer than the rest of the uh, disciples of Christ. And so he's writing a letter here. We're going to assume it's him. We'll point out a couple things as we go through that helps us to know that it's him. Certain phrases that are uh, popular with him. Paul's style was to build a powerful argument, and the major principle in Paul's arguments that he were, was presenting was uh, faith. He learned to live by faith. John's is much more a large concept style, uh, and major principles, and uh, the major principle on his side is love. So we read Paul, we grow in faith. We read John, we grow in love. We'll take all of those we can get. All right, they're all good. So John's style settles on that, and you'll see that as we go. That's always his major concern. So <clears throat> this is kind of an interesting letter. There's a lot to think about here as we get into it. Uh, here we go. Verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius whom I love in the truth. And so we meet, we're going to meet three different people here in this letter. Uh, Gaius is one that we meet uh, right away. And he's, uh, and he's a friend of Paul. He says, I love you in the truth. All right? And we know he loves to talk about truth. Last week he started six times in four verses. He mentioned truth. And he begins with this one. I love in the truth. Or that is we agree we hold the same truths. And uh, I love you because of that. And so uh, Gaius is a pretty popular name. There's three or four mentioned in the Bible. We don't know that this is the same ones as the other ones. Uh, it would be like the name John or something. Well, everybody's named John. Okay, so it's hard to say. Gaius was one of those names. and uh, But he's writing the letter to Gaius here. And he says, I love him in the truth. Number two, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. And so his important thing about Gaius, his soul was prospering. <laughs> and I have to laugh when I think of that verse. As it comes on the television all the time. 
<laughs> There's a fellow who quotes this, and then he says, God wants you to prosper and be in health, and so what you need to do is, is write me a letter, and I'll send you miracle spring water. And the miracle spring water will help you to prosper. You'll get money from all over. You'll be in perfect health because I have anointed the miracle spring water and it's a little tiny bottle, you know, that big and uh, probably comes out of the tap from some who knows where. I seriously doubt it's spring water, and I'm quite sure it's not miracle spring water. But <laughs> it's, that guy's name is Peter Popoff, and he's always promoting wealth, health and wealth, okay? Uh, you get lots. That's not what John said here at all, is it? What John said is, is your soul prospers, or as, as you grow up as a Christian, as you grow spiritually, he says... And that your soul is prospering, or you grow, you grow as a Christian, and that's where everybody needs to get to be. We need to grow as a Christian. He says, as you grow up as a Christian, my wish, my desire for you is that you'll remain healthy and you'll do well. All right? And we all have that wish, right? You're growing up as a Christian. We want you all to do well. And, uh, yeah, that's a natural uh, desire for people we know and love. Uh, and you don't need miracle spring water to do it. You've got to grow up as a Christian. And that's very much a part of what this little book is all about. Uh, your soul grows. I hope your health goes along with it. All right. And so Gaius is going to get a good report. Here we go. Verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. All right. So you walk in truth. All right. So in other words, he lives the Bible. All right. He lives the Bible. He lives the truth. Uh, he is he's doing what he's supposed to do. And as we pointed out in 1 John and 2 John, that is there, if you obey the commands. And what commands? We talked about Jesus, what Jesus instructed us to do. You obey the commands and you're living the way you should. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And there's the little key to who wrote it. What does he call it? My children. All right. And that's John's terminology he uses for the church. My little children. My children. All right. So we know he's talking and he says, nothing I like more than to see Christians growing up, becoming mature in spiritual matters, learning to control themselves, getting their lives all in order, dealing with the sin issue when it comes up, taking care of what needs to be done, being faithful to God. That's what he says is my greatest joy when your children walk in truth. All right? That's true for your personal children. Right? Nothing happier than that. 
nothing happier than that. Right? And, and, uh, and it's true for our family, our church family. That's the great joy when people are developing spiritually, growing, learning to deal with their issues and problems, getting through it, coming out the other side. And being all right. Verse 5. Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. And so he, he says, you never give up. You're always faithful. You never give up. I can always count on you, Gaius. You're somebody that's trustworthy. I can give you a job. It'll be done. Whatever you start, you always finish. Right. Whatever you start, you always finish it. He said, that's a good quality. And we talked about faithfulness last week, how important it is. And Jesus said what? Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. So you're going to live for Jesus faithfully until the day you die. You don't say, well, I've kind of got there. I've arrived. Nobody's arrived. Nobody's arrived. Nobody's got there yet. We all have to continue to deal with things and grow. And that's life. And you've got to grow up as a Christian. And he's going to get into this. It's going to be pretty important. You'll see why in just a minute. But he says he does it to the brethren. All right. And he does it to strangers, too. And so it's natural for him to serve the church. He never gives up on that. But he'll also entertain a perfect stranger. And be as good as his word to a perfect stranger. Which is good. And it was Jesus who talked about love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You, you love God. He said now love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, I like what Jesus said in Luke 6. If you look there, Luke chapter 6. This is in our studies in Luke. And some passages I skip over. If I, if I went on every one I wanted to preach on, we'd be in Luke for the next five years. All right? And I know I've got to keep a schedule. So something to have to skip over, and I hated to do this one. But we did. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Listen to what Jesus, how he talks about your love for people, even strangers. 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. <laughs> when they shall separate you from their company, shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their father unto the prophets. Woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you that are full, you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their father to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And so Gaius is that kind of a guy. He's even perfect strangers that he barely knew. He still 
treated them with respect and kindness and stood up to them so that he could help them understand the gospel. I mean, he, he did very well. And so his personality, he's got a personality that really works out well in the way he treats people. Here we go. Verse 6. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. And he says, we have noted in particular that you are given to hospitality. Hospitality. That's the word charity there. Uh, he says, we've, we've found out how well you do being hospitable. Right? And what's happened, and, and the fact that was building up around this uh, story about Gaius, is that somebody came and visited the church. There were visitors where he was. There's visitors there, and they were not just visitors. Uh, we might call them missionaries, or I guess probably a good word is traveling pastors. Traveling pastors. And these people came to the church wherever Gaius was. John was in Ephesus most likely. He ended up in Ephesus. And that was the church that Paul founded. <clears throat> he ended up in Ephesus. So he's, it's not Ephesus, but he's writing to Gaius wherever his church is. And he's telling him, these, these people came to visit your church. And they're traveling preachers, missionaries, the name that we might give them. And uh, they came to uh, preach. And in those days... Uh, if you could, it's hard for us to imagine what it was like. All right? Jesus had gone to heaven. 30, 40 years have passed. Uh, they haven't got a Bible yet. They got some of the books, you know, that have been written. I'm sure they got the Gospels. Um, maybe you just recently have John's Gospel. But they haven't got really a Bible like we have. They're still collecting letters that Paul wrote and these that John wrote. So they haven't got that. They haven't got uh, books. There's no books. I die without my books. I use books all the time. It's where information from people over the last you know, 500 years have written their things down and I can read that information and I can learn from that. There isn't any books. So how are you going to learn anything? I can go to my book and I go, oh, see, you know, yeah, okay, I, I get it, I get it. I got no books. So how do you learn? Well, in those days, somebody would be with John and they'd learn from them. Okay, well, I'm going to travel around tell what you told, tell the story. And so they would go and travel, tell the stories, and uh, that's how you 
got more information. And of course the preachers of the day really had their hands full trying to preach because they didn't have 2,000 years of preaching that they could look at. And they didn't have the commentaries that they could look at. They didn't have those kind of things. And so it became very uh, necessary to rely on these fellows who were coming through. And it became an important ministry. Of course, Paul was the first missionary. He went from place to place teaching them about Jesus and go on to the next place, teach them, just keep moving. And then pretty soon the others are doing it and then it was happening all around. You go from place to place, tell the gospel, try to start a church. And so this church where Gaius is, uh, these people came. And uh, he said, you treated them very well. Let's look at again verse 6. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. So these people were sent from John. And John said, here's some more. Go tell it. And so he sends these traveling preachers. They come to the church. All right. When they arrive there... uh, Gaius says, come on, come on to my house, come on in, I'd be happy to house you here, take care of you. And so when they got back, John said, they were telling how well you treated them, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. All right, so if you treat these people well, God's going to bless you for taking care of those people. So here's people who come to bring truth, and Gaius has opened his house, and he says, you, you were very hospitable to them when they came back. They told me that. Verse 7, because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. So here we learn something about these traveling preachers. These particular ones who came to the church where Gaius was and he invited them into his house. <clears throat> he says, they, what they do is for his name's sake. They didn't get paid. He says they take nothing of the Gentiles. And it was a very important thing in those days because when you were traveling through cities like Corinth and Ephesus and so forth, those kind of places, uh, it was a lot of business people. The whole flow of traffic had to do with business. And so as people are coming in, the guy you're talking to is probably a businessman of some kind. And if the first thing you do is say, hey, uh, we got to have a little gift before we preach. (laughs) They think, well, he's in it for the money. And that's their concept of money. What? We have businesses so we can make money. And so somebody comes along and says, well, here we are. We're in it for the money. And says, no, 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 we're, we're, we're not charging anything. He says, what did they do it for? For his name's sake. That's a wonderful thing. All right? You have to understand that everything we do is for his name's sake. That is, we want Jesus to be glorified. The name these visitors had the name of Jesus, and when they came to you, 
and they gave you that information that you desperately needed to learn, and you, they helped you, and they said, no charge, no charge. It did a lot to the name of Jesus. And when we do what we're supposed to do, it makes Jesus' name better. See what I mean? And when you're a nasty, naughty boy, all right, that takes away from the name of Jesus. And people say, oh, you, you, I'm sure you've done it. And we've all looked at somebody and said, wow, that's a pretty poor. <laughs> I remember there was a guy at work a few years ago, a long time ago now. And he went around telling everybody, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian. Well, he sold the guy uh, a stereo. And the kid took it home, it didn't work, and he came in and he said, it doesn't work. And the guy said, if you see anything like that again, I'll beat you half to death. <laughs> and he walked out. And this is a guy who's been telling everybody he's a Christian. So there's an old guy named Charlie there, and Charlie goes, that's them Christians, they're always fighting just like David and Goliath. They're always fighting just like David. Well, you see, right away, he got a black eye. Because old Charlie says, yeah, that's something. Hey, look at that guy. Well, that's what he's saying about these people. They didn't want money. They didn't take any money. And the reason was is they wanted the name of Christ to be lifted up. And so he says, these people are coming. They're not doing it for money. And we've done that here for years. You do it for the name of Jesus. Right? We want to make sure that it's clear that we are not in it for the money. We're not in it for the money. We operate that way here. Nobody gets paid. You know, some people pay people to clean their church. We don't. We say, here's the broom, you clean it, all right? Yeah, it's okay. That's all right. all right. And so when they come to open house, they're always scratching their head. So what's the... What's the key? You know, how are you sneaking by? How are you doing this? How do you raise money? So we don't raise money. We lose money. <laughs> I said, well, one lady had it all figured out. She says, you know all them pennies they get? Because we charge a penny, you know. You know all them pennies? Somebody goes through them and they find one, you know, that's valuable. And that's how they sponsor it. So I mentioned that to the treasurer. She said, I'm not going to. All that. <laughs> all right. And so we want people to scratch their head a little and say, what are they doing? What are they doing? Well, that's okay. So we want you to understand we are not in it for the money. That's a very essential part of what he's teaching here. So Gaius, what's he like? He's a wonderful guy. He's got a wonderful personality. He has perfect hospitality, and uh, he'll be good to anybody. He's faithful. You can count on him. He lives the Bible, and he's growing and maturing as a Christian. And he said, that's the guy I'm writing a letter to. I want to thank him for what he did. Verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And so when these traveling preachers come, he said, we're helping them. Now John sent them. 
John sent them. He seems to have known whoever they were and have sent them. And they've come back to John to give a report. And he said, Gaius is a great guy. He took us in his house. We really enjoyed his company. All right, and so we have this Gaius as a leading man now here in the church. He really stood up and do, uh, did well. Now let's go to the other side of the coin. All right, here's where it gets interesting. Verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. And so now we meet a fellow whose name is Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is just the opposite of Gaius. Diotrephes is not a good fella. He's a bad character. Personality, bad personality. And you're going to see what happens when somebody like this comes. Now let's see what he, what he is. But Diotrephes, verse 9, who loveth to have preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So he loves to be in charge. He loves to be in charge. He thrives on being in charge. He's drunk with being on charge. He loves to be number one among everybody in the church. Therefore, verse 10, if I come... I will remember his deeds which he doeth. He said, I'm going to come. I'm going to talk to Diotrephes. Let's see what he does. Pratting against us with malicious words. Uh, Pratting, I guess you would say he talks a lot. (laughs) He talks a lot. He's got a lot to say. And he keeps talking, pratting against us, all right? He's against, and John says us, because John sent these traveling preachers, and so he's against the traveling preachers, and he's against me. I sent them, all right? And not content therewith, neither doth he himself. It's not enough, he says, that he just refuses them, all right? Not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. So, people, here comes the traveling preachers who were sent from John. We're not here to charge you anything. We've got something new that hopefully will help you to understand. He says, not in my church. Hit the road. You're not going to be here talking to, to our people, I'm in charge here, not you. So get out. As a matter of fact, if you people are going to support him, you get out too. Nice guy, Diotrephes. Nice guy, Dad. So what kind of guy is he? Well, <laughs> he certainly has this problem <coughs> with uh, power. Loves to be in charge. Remember, 
what John gave in 1 John. He says there's three influences in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, greed for material things, and the pride of life, which is power over others. All right? And so Diotrephes, he's absolutely hooked, addicted to power. All right? And so he takes a great offense. None offense has been given. They've only come to share the truth. He takes great offense that these people have come. He's highly offended. Why? Because it somehow takes away, he thinks, from him. I get to say what goes on here. I'm in charge. And uh, he rejects John. And we see there's a few examples through the Bible of this kind of behavior. In 1 Corinthians, if you remember... uh, you should remember this. We did 1 Corinthians not that long ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 11. Here's what Paul ran into in the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 11. It has been declared unto me by you, by my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I am of Christ. They're arguing. They argue, or who's the best preacher? And they argue and fight, and Paul says, what are you doing? Stop arguing or fighting. No, these guys come. I'm from John. Well, <laughs> I don't care nothing about John. He's nobody here. I'm the guy in charge here. And so, in the original setups, the way the church was set up originally, uh, we have instructions by. Paul, how to do it. And the best one is in Titus. All right, Titus was a man who was going around and helping to set churches up. And uh, so Titus, all the T's are together, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. Titus chapter 1. And listen to the instructions and see if anything rings a little bell in your ear when you think about diatrophies. Here we go. Titus 1 verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, Titus, Paul talking to Titus, thou shalt set in order the things that are wanting, ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So he said, I want you to go around to the churches and set up elders all right. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. How about that one? I think Dietrich got in trouble that time, didn't he? Because as soon as John's people... Get, oh. Get out of here. And if you think they're coming in here, you people can go with them. Yeah, it sounds like he lost his temper. Not given to wine, no striker. Not given to filthy lucre. But a lover of what? Hospitality. Now, Gaius was, right? 
Gaius said, come on in. Come into my house. I want to have you here. Not Diotrephes. He said, you're not coming here. A lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught that he would be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. And so when you find these people, set them up. And you're going to set up a little group of men, and that's going to help these churches to function and get going. And so we have an eldership set up, uh, a group of elders. And John says, this is how we're going to start it. We're going to have a group of elders. And then he mentions the word bishop. Uh, so we come to the word Bishop, which, as far as I'm concerned, it's all the same thing. It's someone that you put in charge, someone that he is going to set up as being in charge of the group. And say, well, how did they start in the beginning? It was tough because there are no rules and regulations for how to run a church when they first started. What do we do? How do we run a service? Now we kind of, we got a couple thousand years of how to do it, and we kind of think we got it figured out. Uh, and back then, they needed elders in the form of advisors, all right, keep track of things, make sure. Uh, and, and it's the idea of a minister, all right, well, how do they come? So <laughs> I have one commentary, and I would never buy it. I didn't buy it. Somebody gave it to me, and I keep it, not because it's right, because he's wrong almost all the time. But that's okay, because you need to know when people are wrong, too. And when I read his commentary on Third John, he said, Diotrephes was a great guy. Because Diotrephes was stepping into the role of being a pastor and being a leader. And he was leaving behind the concept of that there's a group of us. He's stepping into the new role. And so all he's doing is becoming the bishop. And uh, they got a little bent out of joint. Uh, that's not what John says at all. He said, <laughs> as a matter of fact, he says, Diotrephes is bringing the new form of government on the church uh, into being. Well, I don't think so. Humans have made position very prominent in church affairs. Very prominent. They made position to be very prominent. And you can go to groups like pulps and the bishops and the priests and so on and so forth. Or you go to another church and you got the presbyters, presbyterians. And, you know, there's different forms of government. Uh, there's the Episcopal idea was that there's one man in charge. This was a Methodist Episcopal church. It's called the Methodist Episcopal. And the Methodist churches in America that were founded, like when this one was, uh, had come from the idea uh, there was a man in charge over here. And uh, he was running things, so it was Episcopal. One man was ruled. Francis Asbury was running things. And he was setting up the Methodist churches, so they called it Methodist Episcopal Church in America. 
was one man in charge. All right? the, the Presbyterians came along and said, no, 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 you got to have a group like they did here with the elders. And so we're called the Presbyters. And don't ever question a Presbyter. <laughs> I have heard that. Uh, and uh, different things <coughs> like that, um, forms of government of the church. One of the forms of government was uh, congregational. If you go down uh, to the Route 31 there, turn left, There's a used to be a church there on the left. That was a congregational church. In other words, the whole congregation decided everything. And it's pretty clear in the Bible that the the church was never meant to be a democracy. It was meant to have leaders. And so congregational forms, they were big in New England, but they all shrunk up and died because it just never was always meant to be that way. All right. And so Diotrephes oversteps his authority. He oversteps his authority. He's there to watch things and keep an eye on things, and that's fine. All right, but he's not there to throw people out the door. And remember, uh, if you really want to get it right, position equals responsibility. You've got a position... The responsibility is what you carry. You carry the responsibility for your position. And that uh, rests on you. All right, rests on you. And so here we try to say to somebody, oh, here's a job that you're responsible. Don't go around and say, I'm in charge. No. <laughs> no, no. Diotrephes loves preeminence. He wants to be known as a person in charge. And so what actually happens with the diatrophy is because he loves to be in charge, he talks a lot against, he's got that bad personality, and here's what happens. He's driving people out the door. The church shrinks because of diatrophy. He's kicking them out. You want these people from John? I'm not letting them in, and you might as well get out too. So the church shrinks under his ministry. All right, the church is shrinking. So uh, it is natural in human affairs that prominence makes uh, for people they love to be prominent. All right, and. Uh, in the early years, there was no pattern in the church, and so uh, these things could happen. Um, and so we got, and I think that's particularly the case here. Uh, we got a guy who's a bad personality. He has not learned self-control. He has not learned hospitality. He hasn't learned any of those things. And so as a result of it, his congregation is shrinking. And that's really where we look uh, for how is a church supposed to work, all right? How is a church supposed to work? 
Uh, is there supposed to be elders in charge? Is there supposed to be a preacher in charge? Is that the way it is? Well, I think uh, it's pretty, certain things are true. One of the things that's true that we have to remember uh, is everybody is different. And it takes a certain type of church to deal with certain type of people. And I honestly believe that's why there's so many different churches. And I have had people come here that I thought they should be in a different church. Uh, they need to be in a place. Well, there was a guy, I'll give you an example. There was a guy, he was coming through the swamp and he came to me and he was just terrified. He says, there's evil spirits in the swamp. And I stopped and I prayed against the evil spirits along the road as they're coming up towards the church. I said, well, good. I didn't tell him I grew up in that swamp and I never saw any in there yet. Okay. But he had the idea that that was the case. And I just kind of, okay. But I thought it was probably somewhere where people will, will, he might be better off uh, than that uh, here because there's so many people and so many different types of people. And it takes a lot of ministers to deal with a lot of different people, all right? And so I don't look over at the next church and say, well, he's not doing what I do. He doesn't have to do what I do. He's got a whole different bunch of people. He needs to do what he needs to do for those people. And whatever it is, is fine. All right? And I need to do what I need to do here. We do it for that. All right? We do it what? For the name. The name. The name of Christ. And that his per, our personality, the way we behave, it will show back uh, on, on Jesus well. All right? And that's not what Diotrephes is doing. He's making a bad name for Jesus. All right? And I think you can say, well, what about church government and all of that? I don't think it makes two bits of difference. Because I've been watching churches as long as I've been thinking about it for a long time. And where is a successful one? Well, one of the most successful ones years back was in Barry Center, Presbyterian Church. It was one of the most successful ones around. Um, and uh, we look up that way. There's a church over there with 20. Another church got eight people in. Another church has got 10 people in. What's happened? The church shrinks. The church is shrinking. And he said in the beginning, what did he say? I, that you may prosper as your soul prospers. All right, so if a church, people are going to grow in a church setting, and the church should be growing. And the church stops growing. I went to church where the same people, when I was a young kid, I went to church where the same people were there for the last, I don't know how many years. Exactly the same people all the time. And it didn't change. And when a new person came in, who's that? What's he doing here? <laughs> I remember there was a real character. He was my wife's uncle. His name was Fred. And Fred came to church one day, and I thought they were all going to faint. Because Fred was a character, you know. He drove a motorcycle and was quite a character. Fred came into church, and uh, they were just in shock. 
you know, oh my goodness, look at, look at who's here. I loved it. I, I was happy to see Fred there. And Fred received Christ and died shortly thereafter. Because the minister was open to that. The people weren't. And so you got a situation. Is, is the pastor the reason the church is successful? Well, he's got something to do with it. But it's very possible that the congregation opposes the minister. That can happen. And that's why I, for a long time I said, I don't want none of that job. The congregation goes against the minister because I've seen ministers get starved out. seen them turn the pay off, drop the pay for these guys. I know a guy had four kids, and they kept cutting his pay, cutting his pay. They're going to say, you're going to do what we want because they love preeminence. Somebody loves preeminence. And that sometimes is the congregation. I knew another case where this wonderful fellow, I really enjoyed him. Uh, he came in and he got Fred to come. He was the one who got Fred to come. And he had an idea and he was telling me, I got this idea. He said, let me bounce it off you. I want to try it and see how it works. And so he said, I'm going to have a day we're going to call it Old Fashioned Day. Dress up in old clothes and we'll grow our beards out and we'll have an old fashioned day. I said, yeah, I don't know, I never tried it, but I'm game, let's try it. Well, there was one family in the church that was like 10 families and they all called in and they said, We're all going on vacation when you have that. So none of us will be here. He came to me and he said, That's like three quarters of the church. We can't have old fashioned days. Well, I remembered that. I think it worked pretty good. I think it was a fantastic idea, as a matter of fact. It was a wonderful idea, but the congregation opposed it because they loved preeminence over the pastor. All right, they loved to have preeminence. So how does the church succeed? Well, I think God sends along people and God gives gifts. And so God sends somebody and give them a gift of teaching or preaching or evangelism. Those are the three really pastoral gifts. Some people are extremely good at evangelism. Billy Graham would get up and he would preach a sermon about, he preached a sermon, remember, still striking in my mind. He preached a sermon about uh, when the uh, mountain out there out west blew the top off and the lava came running down. Mount St. Helens. He preached a sermon on Mount St. Helens. Absolutely captivated me. I said, how did he, he's really gifted at that. He talked about the guy who lived up there and said, nothing's ever going to happen to this mountain. And then he got swallowed up in the lava. And uh, he talked about life. And he used that very effectively. All right? best, one of the best sermons I ever heard. And he's taken daily, and Billy Graham did it all the time, take a daily event and turn it into, you need to believe in Christ. Perfectly there. Other pastors are here to preach. they got something to say. They need to preach. 
God gives them a gift for that. And when they do the will of God and the congregation agrees, let's go and do it, then the church is going to grow. And when the church is shrinking, it's Diotrephes' idea. The church is shrinking. He doesn't mind if it shrinks, as long as he's in charge. He wants to stay in charge, and so they shrink. It shrinks down, and he's crossed John. John said, I'm, I'm coming up to see you, Diotrephes. Verse 11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, he that doeth evil has not seen God. Diotrephes lost sight of what he was there to do. Now remember, John has said over and over again, watch out for Antichrist. Be careful of the doctrine that people come and bring. All right, watch out for Antichrist. He didn't say that about Diotrephes. It's not that he's got bad doctrine, he's got, he's got a bad personality. He's hard to get along with, and that bad personality uh, has come across into the church. And so Gaius stepped in and took these people into his house, sat down with them, and helped them to feel like they were comfortable. Now there's another guy who also helped. Verse 12, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. All right, so there was another guy there, Demetrius, who stepped up, and it's very likely, we don't know for sure, but it's very likely that he said, I don't care what diatrophy says, I want to hear what these people got to say. And that he somehow uh, got them to come and talk. And he said, everybody said, well, I'm sure glad he did that. And the truth itself all right, how do we know what they said was true? You can see it in Demetrius's life. He is showing those things. 13, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. All right, that's what he said last week, remember? Uh, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. And once again, he's not writing a long letter. I'm, I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with diatrophies. He gave us a little uh, once-over by the way they treated the traveling uh, uh, pastors. And diatrophies, bad personality was shrinking the church. So how does the church grow? We have a lot to do with personality. Who's got a good personality? Diat uh, Demetrius does. And Gaius does. They're both known for being pleasant, faithful people. Diotrephes is known for uh, losing his cool and shooting his mouth off and saying, I'm in charge. Uh, and they said, no. He said, that is going to change. And he said, I'm going to come and talk to him. All right, verse 14. But I trust I shall shortly see thee. We shall speak face to face. Peace be unto thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. All right. He said, I want to be peaceful. I don't want to come into an argument that Diotrephes created. I want it to be peaceful. And so we very carefully understand that leadership is responsibility. It's not, I'm in charge, back off. All right. 
And I think one of the, uh, we look at churches that are successful. Uh, one of the things that absolutely destroyed church, churches was the uh, policies that came from above. Because here's the fact. If there's a church somewhere and it's successful, it's successful not because it's a member of some great organization. It's successful because the pastor and the people work together. That's what makes it successful. And it can be Presbyterian, it can be Methodist, it can be whatever. All right? And as long as we don't get the idea that we're in charge, there was a there was a church in Ohio, and they did very well. Um, the church grew, and they did very well. And so the denomination said, we're going to send people from that church to all you churches, and they're going to get you all going in the right direction. So they came to the church where I was, and they walked in, and they said, okay, you're all sinners. Somebody needs to start repenting. Who will be first? And I'm thinking, that's an unusual approach. <clears throat> and of course, pretty soon, some lady stands up and, you know, she said something to somebody. And, okay, that's one. Let's all, where's the rest of you? Come on, let's go. And I don't think anybody else much stood up. And uh, the point was, we'll show you how to grow as a church. We have preeminence. So here we are. Yeah, it's yeah, not it. When a church works together and is hospitable and hospitality, you've got a lot to do with it. All right, and then good, good. Uh, then it can succeed. And it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter. But the policy of the churches was to change pastors every three years. And in Methodism is true. You take the record of this church, you can go back, and I have a record of the pastors. It's three years, three years, three years, three years, three years, three years. Church closed. Why? Because it never gets, nothing ever gets going. I was here for three years before the first outside visitor came. And I mean people from this community right here. It took three years before the first one came. That was Gail Culver. She came in because she was uh, doing an experiment in a college class. She brought her friend with her. One of them dressed up real fancy, and the other one dressed up in blue jeans. And they came and sat in church. The theory was that they'll love the fancy person, not the blue jean person. So they came, came in, and we were all nice, and they left, and she told me we had a meeting afterwards. Well, that didn't work, so let's switch. So next week, uh, the other one wore the blue jeans, the other one dressed fancy, and came in. And we, she said to me, didn't you notice that? I said, sorry, I didn't notice what you were wearing. I wasn't paying any attention to that, and neither did anybody else, because nobody cares. All right. And that was the first people, it was three years of ministry with the people that we had uh, before the first one came. So if you're a pastor for three years and then you're out the door, I knew a pastor, he had three years worth of sermons in his drawer. 
And he says, I just read the same one. I go to church for three years. I read through them. Then I get out of there and go to the next church. And I keep using the same sermon. Well, <laughs> it's no wonder. Right? The very idea of hospitality and getting to know people and being inviting and open armed to people. You're not here long enough to know anybody. So, anyways, enough, enough of this. Uh, all right. So it's an interesting little book as it shows a, a church in its growth when it should be growing. He said, "Some of you are doing all right, but you got this guy, and he's making your church shrink, and we need to take care of that issue." All right. And so next week we'll go on to Jude. Thank you. Thank you.